This week on Geek Explained, we're back! With the next group of Disney Plus Marvel shows on the horizon, I'm taking a look back at the first class and ranking them from worst to best. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is episode 192, which means, boys and girls, we are officially on the road to two. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who supported the podcast through the month of January for our amazing comics conversations that we had with some fantastic guests. And now we're here. It's February. We are on the road to 200 episodes. It is crazy. And we're also closing in on our four-year anniversary. So lots of exciting things going on with the podcast. But right now, in this episode, we are going to be ranking all of the 2021 Marvel Disney Plus shows from worst to best. We got five shows. I'm going to rank them. I'm going to tell you why they are in the slots that they are in. And hopefully we're gonna get through this with as much or as little controversy as possible we'll find out Uh, we also have this week's comics countdown where i chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. It has been a little bit, hasn't it, since I've said that. Woo! All right. So we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with miscellaneous news. I'm going to just preface this right now. A lot of news <laughs> happened in January and December, and I'm not going to cover all of it because we would be here forever. So I'm just kind of... Picking out certain things from each of these four categories from throughout this past month that I kind of want to talk about since I haven't really been able to. So bear with me. We will get right back into talking about every single piece of news that came out in the previous week next week. But for now, let's talk about the news that I really want to get into. So three pieces of miscellaneous news. First off, Respawn, everyone's favorite Star Wars publisher? We don't know yet. Uh, Respawn announced several new Star Wars games in development, one of which being a first-person shooter, one of which being a real-time strategy game. But the biggest news, of course, was Fallen Order 2. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order 2, or just Star Wars Jedi 2. Uh, It's supposed to be coming out soon, I'm assuming. Uh, We should be getting more news on this, probably, Star Wars Celebration, May the 4th and all that. Uh, Fingers crossed, rumors are going on right now that it's going to be a late 2022 release, and I really hope so, because I loved that game. I loved that game to death, and I really am excited to see what Cal's next uh, chapter is in the Star Wars series. We also got two big 
anniversaries coming up both this week and in the very near future from Square Enix. Uh, This past Monday, as of this recording, was the 25th anniversary for Final Fantasy VII. Ah, 25 years. It makes me feel so old. Uh, 25 years for Final Fantasy VII. Really, really cool. Everybody was just overflowing with love, not just for the game, but for the series, for the studio, everybody. Uh, We got statements from not just Tetsuya Nomura, but also Yoshinori Kitase, uh, who were both the director and producer of Final Fantasy VII Remake, respectively. And they released some really cool artwork featuring Cloud, Sephiroth, and my boy Zach Fair, which was really exciting to see. And they mentioned that we might be getting some news for Remake Part 2 later on this year, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Probably around, like, E3, if not, like, way down the line at, like, Tokyo Game Show or something. Uh, It's still probably a long ways off but i am excited to see what they announce they also announced a kingdom hearts 20th anniversary event god kingdom hearts is 20 years old too yikes uh but really excited about this they are having this big old anniversary event for kingdom hearts celebrating 20 years on april 10th uh expect big news expect some really exciting uh announcements perhaps i'm keeping my fingers crossed you know how much i love kingdom hearts and because it is the 20th anniversary maybe we should finish out that kingdom hearts series that i did Maybe. We've got a couple games. We'll see. Uh, But that wraps up miscellaneous news. We're going to hop on over to film news. Uh, Three pieces of film news real quick. First off, Fast and Furious 10. You know how much I love this series. You know how much I love those films. Uh, And apparently Fast and Furious 10 is going to get even bigger because they recently announced the casting of Jason Momoa in an unspecified role, but he's going to be in there. Uh, This kind of compounds upon the story of Vin Diesel reaching out to The Rock to be part of Final Fantasy X and The Rock turning it down. I am going to say for now, just to put this out, I put this out on Twitter as well. uh, I believe that Jason Momoa has been cast in the, to fill out the role that uh, Dwayne Johnson's character would have in this film. Um, It just makes sense to me for some reason in my head. Let me know if you disagree or if this makes no sense. But this is kind of what is working in my head on what they are planning on doing with this. But we'll see. Uh, We also got the first official themes for not just the Batman, but also the Riddler. Michael Giacchino has been busy. He has been busy busy in the lab putting this together with his orchestra and both of these themes sound chef's kiss i cannot wait to see this film this is going to be incredible and speaking of comic book films spider-man no way home broke all of the records it is now the sixth highest grossing film of all time and apparently even with it breaking all these records there was still more to show because in the past week or so uh producers have said that the Spider-Man No Way Home Blu-ray uh, will have apparently over 100 minutes of bonus content. So I have a couple thoughts on this. First off, we better get that 30 minutes of just Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland just riffing off each other. If we don't have it, what's the point? What are we doing here? But also, do we need a 100 minutes of bonus content? The film was long already. 
just put it in the film. Like, at this point, why are we spending a hundred minutes of just stuff we're not even going to use? But that being said, uh, I'm sure people are going to go nuts over this. We're going to find all kinds of cool stuff and deleted scenes and whatnot. So it'll be interesting nonetheless. Jumping into TV news, three pieces of TV news here as well. Uh, First off, we got the first official full trailer for the halo series coming to i believe paramount plus it looks fine you know it looks fine it looks fine um it's questionable special effects i think it was very telling that they only had the covenant show up in like one shot but master chief looks good um it looks kind of did anyone watch the shannara chronicles with manu bennett um it looks very much like that quality which is fine and i think that this could end up pleasantly surprising people but i don't have a lot of high hopes for it we'll we'll see when it comes out we also know that uh there are rumors going on right now that the flash has been renewed for season nine already uh some reports have been going out that grant gustin who of course plays barry allen in the show has been in negotiations for a season nine we'll see uh the season eight so far that we saw Armageddon I thought was actually really strong and uh, it's gonna you know we're gonna find out what happens to the rest of the show I can see the show going 10 seasons just to say it went 10 seasons but I would not be surprised if we do get a season 9 that it's the last season as well and then finally in TV news Joseph Morgan of Vampire Diaries fame has been cast as Brother Blood in Titans season four oh man titans season four okay look ladies and gents i'm gonna tell you something right now that you're probably not surprised about uh titans is fine you know it's not good by any stretch of the imagination but titans has a fan base it has a following and the actors are trying their best and i will say Out of the three seasons that have been released of this show, season three was probably the most coherent. And I want to qualify that by like just barely more. Uh, But the show has improved. Season two was an improvement over season one and season three was an improvement over season two. I have to give them that. However... Season 3 was largely built on Gotham shenanigans. This was no longer a Titans show. This was a Gotham Knights show that happened to feature Titans characters as well. So I'm interested to see what they do with Titans Season 4 since Brother Blood is, of course, traditionally a Titans villain. If they steer away from Gotham and they start putting more focus on the Titans brand, the team, the stories. It is going to be very interesting to see what they do with that. So, uh, fingers crossed, Brother Blood was actually a really fun character in the comics and in the animated series so hopefully they do him justice but we're gonna round things off the new segment with some comic news lots of comic news to talk about first off death of the justice league the justice league is apparently going to perish in issue number 75 which is strangely enough not going to be written by brian michael bendis it is going to be helmed by joshua williamson I believe, uh, who has just been all over the place, man. He is running the show over there. And Death of Justice League is apparently a team goes to uh, fight a threat, big old toss-up, and I guess only one 
Justice League member returns. I'm assuming it's either going to be Black Adam or Zatanna, since Zatanna isn't really part of the team and shows up for other stuff, and Black Adam is shown featured in some of the promotional material alongside, like, the caskets. But we'll see what happens. Um, the Apparently, this is supposed to be a big deal and that the Justice League is going to be gone for a while. So we'll see exactly what happens there. It's strange because the Justice League keeps featuring Superman, who in, you know, the Philip Kennedy Johnson era is not there. He's not on Earth. He's in Warworld. So I don't know what the plan is. I don't know where the... Um, where the continuity is supposed to lie here, but we'll find out at Justice League 75, apparently. We also know that another X-Men vote is coming, another Hellfire Gala, which is apparently going to be way scaled back from last year's, with just one uh, giant-sized one-shot for the Hellfire Gala for 2022, which meant another hashtag X-Men vote for this year. A whole new crop of talent came through. Uh, some familiar faces, some not. I of course put my entire cart and buggy behind armor uh armor deserves to be on this team and as the polls were closing the top getters top vote getters were armor monet and firestar uh firestar's a cop i don't know what to tell you firestar's a cop but it's going to be interesting to see which they pick, because I think it's between those three. Uh, Armor, because she's a fantastic character. She was also the only member of the previous year's vote to get a second ballot at this. So just give it to her already, man. She's so good. She's a great character. And we already have a fire user on the team. The, I could see Monet being a great member on the team, but Monet had a book. When I had a book, it quietly got canceled. So we'll see. We'll see. There's no news as of this recording on who won the vote, but I'm sure that announcement will come swiftly. Also coming swiftly is another big-time Marvel event, because we don't have enough of those. Uh, Judgment Day. Judgment Day is upon us. It'll be dropping this summer. Uh, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Valeria Shiti. Uh, this is basically pitting the Avengers versus the X-Men versus the Eternals. And this is absolutely a way to get the Eternals back into like the main stage when it comes to uh, Marvel Comics. Apparently, the Kieran Gillen-led uh, Eternals comics have been really good. I myself have not been reading them, but I've heard really good things. And the thing that got me kind of interested in this was they've been releasing these quotes, right, for the event to... To, you know, be teases and hype you up and everything. And the one thing that got me really hyped, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, was this quote that Eternals have been tasked with dealing with deviants. And the mutants, what are they? Like, ah, I don't know. That's really cool. That's a really cool idea. Um, and from the press release that they dropped for this, it looks like the Eternals are going to go to war with the X-Men. And the Avengers are going to be caught in the middle. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see some big dust-ups. Uh, the Turtles have been on a tear recently when it comes to the film, when it comes to their popularity. So it'll be interesting because, you know, whenever a new Marvel property gets 
popular, I guess would be the word, popular in the mainstream. You gotta put them against the X-Men in the comics. It, I don't make the rules, it's just what happens. Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, it's just what happens. So we'll see, this event is gonna be bombastic, if nothing else. We also got the news that unfortunately, Wonder Girl has been canceled, quietly canceled. Um, the story will continue with uh, Trial of the Amazons Wonder Girl. And Trial of the Amazons is the big uh, Wonder Family event that's going to be happening this year. The book was, you know, the book was fine. It gave us the origin for Yara Floor, but the inconsistent schedule, the inconsistent art really, I think, sank the book. So hopefully, uh, We've got bright skies ahead for Yara Floor. She's a great character. She deserves her time in the sun. And I'm sure after Wonder Woman quote-unquote perishes in the death of the Justice League, we are going to need a new Wonder Woman. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, we also got some new comics announcements. Uh, first off, I'm just going to get the one I don't want to talk about out of the way. Flashpoint. 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 We're getting a Flashpoint sequel uh, written by Jeff Johns, art by Eduardo Riso. I don't care about this. I don't care about this. It's Flashpoint's uh, Thomas Wayne going back and finding his world still alive. It's, you know what it is? It's the sequel to Apo to Age of Apocalypse. You remember? You remember back when we did, uh, not we as in like you and I, but when Marvel did Uncanny X-Force, one of the best X-Men runs ever, and revealed that the Age of Apocalypse reality was still around, and then they did a full-on Age of Apocalypse sequel series. It's this. That's what this is. The world that is wrong was wiped out by nuclear annihilation. We come back, the, you know, mainstay of the, uh, of the world, almost the lead character in Age of Apocalypse case, it was Magneto. In this case, it's Thomas Wayne Batman. Comes back, finds the world isn't dead. There it is. They're just copying shit now. So, I don't really, ah, man, I, I just, I can't. That Thomas Wayne character has been so overexposed and over, you know, overutilized to the point that I just, I, I actively kind of move away from books that feature him that I just, I'm not excited about this. If they had said Flashpoint is a thing and they left that shit alone and they never brought Thomas Wayne back for anything, I think this would be a much more exciting prospect. If they never just went back to Flashpoint as many times as they have. I don't think that this would this book would give me the same feeling that it's giving me right now. But that being said, this is a book. People are going to read it. Whatever. Getting into stuff I am excited about. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man. We now know what the plan is post-beyond for the Spider-Man character, at least the Peter Parker character. And that is he is getting a brand new number one. A relaunch series written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. is on the horizon. I'm a, I'm a fan of Zeb Wells. Zeb Wells knows what he's doing. John Romita Jr. I've spoken about on the podcast. He has the quality in him to continue drawing Drake great comics and he is one of those Spider-Man artists that people will always look back on and say he's an iconic Spider-Man artist but recently his output has not been great so I am hoping that this is going to be the kick that he needs to start drawing you know at the standard that he set for himself and we'll just have to see but 
the stuff that they've teased so far, apparently Peter Parker did something. A lot of the promotional materials, like what did Peter Parker do? And the second issue say breaking up Spider-Man and Mary Jane again. I don't need to see that. We just got back them back together. So I don't really need to see this, but we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, we also got the announcement that Daredevil is getting a brand new number one, a relaunch of the series post Devil's Reign. And it's picking up a familiar creative team. Chip Zdarsky writing, Marco Cicchetto on art. What more could we ask for? This is what we wanted. We wanted a continuation of the story. We wanted to keep a good thing going. And I think uh, Chip Zdarsky said this is going to be their fourth year on the title. It has been a while since we've had a creative team this strong on a book for this long. So I'm excited about this. The brand new number one is going to be kicking off in June. And Zdarsky has said it's going to be tracking the... uh, the journey of both Matt Murdock and Elektra. So we'll see what happens. I was hoping for Daredevils, plural, but we'll see what happens. Elektra's also getting like an Elektra 100, like, uh, special one shot. So I would much, I mean, we all kind of knew that the whole Elektra Daredevil thing was more or less temporary, but I'm hoping that it's not that temporary i hope it sticks around for a little bit longer but the big comic book news for me the big comic book news that i could not wait to talk about was that we're getting some captain america love this year finally we are getting some captain america love in the comics um i mean i will say the ta-nehisi coats captain america run was good but varied this one gets me really excited. First off, we're getting a Captain America number zero in April that is going to be putting the spotlight on not just Steve, but also Sam, as well as Bucky. If you picked up that Devil's Reign Winter Soldier one-shot, you know what I'm talking about. Excellent, excellent book. Uh, but spinning out of the Captain America number zero, we are getting dual titles for Captain America Sam Wilson and Captain America Steve Rogers. It has been a while since we've had something like this. In fact, we actually did an episode on this very subject. It's a tale of two captains, myself, along with uh, Explained Book Club co-host Malcolm Russell Nelson, dove into the entire Sam Wilson Captain America saga parallel to the Hydra Cap Steve Rogers saga. Uh, One of my favorite episodes of this entire podcast. Go check it out. Uh, Huge, huge fan of that episode. We chronicled the entire story of both captains all the way up through uh, Secret Empire and the inevitable clash. Hopefully, this is going to be uh, just as good, if not better. Hoping for better, since I don't think Steve is going to be Hydra Cap in this one. Right? Marvel. Right? Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm keeping my eye on Marvel. We're going to see. But uh, we are getting two new books. First off, Captain America, Symbol of Truth for Sam Wilson, uh, written by Tochi Onyabuchi and art by R.B. Silva. That's going to be dropping in May, so the very next month after Captain America Zero. And then in June, we are getting Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. That's the Steve Rogers book, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, with art by Carmen Carnero. So... 
April to June is going to be a great stretch of time for Captain America fans. April, we get Captain America Zero. May, we get Captain America Symbol of Truth. And June, we get Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. This makes me really excited. The Symbol of Truth is going to be a book that, apparently, according to... uh, Writer Onyabuchi says it's going to be focused on world politics and how the world reacts to a black Captain America, which I think is really cool. Uh, And then the Sentinel of Liberty book by uh, Kelly Lansing and Carnero is going to be, I guess, more of a mystery conspiracy thriller. So that sounds really exciting. I'm really excited for both of these books. Should be a good time. But that is going to wrap up this very long. I, I said it was going to be even longer, and I still went long on the news segment. Uh, that wraps up the news segment. And speaking of Marvel, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is the official Geeksplain ranking of Marvel Disney Plus Phase 1 from worst to best. And there came a day unlike any other, when a studio came together with its brand new streaming service and was joined by one of the monoliths of American comic books to develop five TV shows to bring us forward post-Endgame into the new Phase 4 world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Geeksplained official unofficial ranking of the first five Disney Plus shows. Phase one, if you will. I know it's technically phase four, but this is phase one of the Disney Plus shows. We've got tons more coming. Some that have been announced. I'm sure there are plenty that haven't been announced. And 2021, I would say, for all of the terrible god-awful things that happened that year actually had some bright spots and i think five of those bright spots were these disney plus marvel shows now they weren't perfect far from it in fact however i think for an opening salvo of what we can expect when it comes to these disney plus shows they were pretty good pretty pretty good so i am going to be going over these shows my personal list uh disclaimer of course this is my own personal objective subjective list it is not the end-all be-all if you want to share your list with me feel free to do so whether it's via email geeksplained.gmail.com whether it's through social media at geeksplainedpod on twitter and instagram please i would love to know your rankings because i think what a lot of people are going to get out of these shows is going to be very different uh the shows are i would say for the most part very different from each other so what you might like in one show you might not like in another show and i think i 
with the quality of the shows that we've had just across the board, it makes me really excited for the shows that are going to be coming up next. You know, we've got Moon Knight dropping in March. We've got She-Hulk on the way. Miss Marvel's coming up soon as well. So, and I think they're even filming Secret Invasion right now as I'm recording this. So it is really an exciting time if you're a Marvel fan, especially if you are a Marvel fan looking forward to these shows and learning about new characters, getting to be familiarized with characters that you haven't seen in a while. And these five shows, I think, do it just as well as any other Marvel property has before. So let's get into the list. I'm going to be telling you about the show, uh, why I liked it, why I didn't like it, uh, as well as my favorite episode. So let's dive into it, ranking them from five to one, five being the least amazing and one being absolutely spectacular i also want to preface this none of these are bad shows i know it's very easy to be like dodge oh, you know this show is garbage and i will be critical when it is appropriate to be critical but i think across the board these shows were all really good so without further ado let's get into it number five i have what if what if was the only animated show of the bunch, a utilizing different art styles, though having a pretty consistent style throughout. Uh, this show was different. This show, which ran uh, for nine episodes, uh, does have a season two on the way. Season two, checkmark, yes. Uh, this show was interesting because it took... Uatu the Watcher, played by the incredible Jeffrey Wright, and gave him the Jungle Cruise tour guide responsibility of showing the viewer these alternate paths that MCU movies could have gone down. Each episode taking place in a different Marvel movie and showing how things could have been changed. First episode kicked off with Captain Carter, uh, Peggy Carter getting the serum instead of Steve. We had an episode where Doctor Strange... I think the most critically acclaimed of the bunch where Doctor Strange decided to try and revive uh, Christine from an accident. Uh, the, the rules in that were also very, very confusing. But all of these episodes had, a, had something to say. All of these episodes had a fun twist on an MCU story that we knew. However, the show itself was varied. There were episodes that were absolute highlights. And there were episodes that I really was just like, that's fine. It's an episode, whatever. Um, also, the thing that dropped it a few notches for me is that the show is mostly non-essential. Now, I know that sounds strange because is the, this is literally multiverse the show, and there are going to be things in this show that are relevant for movies that are coming out soon. The Doctor Strange episode is relevant for the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is coming out in a couple months. However, most of these episodes are not going to be followed up on. We are not going to get another, you know, look into the world that Killmonger killed Tony Stark in, you know, for reasons that are obvious in the finale. Uh, we are not going to continue the story as much as it pains me. We are not going to continue the story of T'Challa as Star-Lord. You know, there are certain things in the show that I loved, absolutely adored. And there are also things that I look at and I say, 
where are we going with this? Was this just kind of a fun one-off or is it supposed to be more connected than it seems? Because that that's the thing that people have been either incredibly high on or incredibly critical of and that's how interconnected all the MCU projects are. And not having those interconnectivity strands, I don't know if I'm using the right word there, with the other projects really makes this feel like non-essential viewing for the most part. I've told people, people have asked me, who are not comic book fans, who are not really like Marvel-obsessed people, have been like, is What If worth watching? And I said, yeah. And they say, do I need to watch it for other, you know, movies and shows? And I say, sort of. You know, the appearance of what everyone I think is assuming is the uh, Strange Supreme in the Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness trailer means that at least one episode, if not two episodes, are essential viewing. And that is the third episode, which is Doctor Strange, what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands, and the finale, which continues that story. So... Either one of those episodes, I, I tell people, watch those two episodes. Otherwise, you don't need to watch anything else. Uh, also, was not a huge fan of the shortened runtime. Most of these uh, episodes ran only probably about 30 minutes at most, which is easy when you are not invested in it. And easy to do for an animated series where it's like, okay, we'll just, we'll pop into this world and we'll pop back out. However, uh, apparently during the pandemic, which is where this show was, uh, the time frame of the show is being developed, the conditions of working in that environment forced the creative team to shorten those episodes. So we didn't get enough time with them, which sucks. And obviously, I think most of these shows were affected by that, but it's unfortunate because it does show in the finished product that there are worlds that I would have loved to spend a lot more time in that we just unfortunately didn't get to. However, that being said, that finale episode is great. It is a great finale episode, and if you want to look at how to take how to take a finale for a season and take parts of every single episode that came before it and utilize them to their strengths that finale episode is a prime example of how to do a finale right the show is also a fun concept what if has always been a fun concept when it comes to marvel same as elseworlds for dc just getting different stories for these characters and the ones we're traditionally familiar with is really fun and you get to experiment you get to have a lot of fun with it you know there was a lot of criticism i think for the captain carter episode because it didn't stretch super far it didn't stray too far from the you know already paved road that we had seen before with captain america the first avenger but i would argue that it does enough to show the concept without alienating viewers who maybe weren't familiar with the what if concept and then they had the permission to go balls the wall later on so i do think that the balance of that is really nice also uatu rules jeffrey wright puts in an incredible voice acting performance as uatu makes me really excited to see uatu going forward and i'm sure we're going to whether it's in more what if or hopefully in films as well we'll have to see but 
Really enjoyed the show overall. It was my least favorite out of all of them, and the one I think got the least attention, and the one that had the least amount of staying power out of all five of these. But, that being said, it was a good show. My favorite episode, episode 9, the finale. I loved that finale. The episode, What If the Watcher Broke His Oath. Uh, This tied up everything, pretty much every loose end that we had in the season up to that point. Had some incredible battles, great character moments, and just tied up everything with a nice, neat bow that also allowed us to look forward to season two and beyond. So overall, what if a solid show, but not my favorite. So that's why it's at number five. At number four, we have... WandaVision. I know. I'm surprised it was this low for me as well. WandaVision lit up the world when it debuted. A year ago, think about this, a year ago we were all watching WandaVision. And it was one of those events because this was the first MCU anything that we got after 2020 giving us an entire drought year without any MCU content. So when it was announced this was going to kick off pretty much phase four, this was going to kick off everything that we were looking forward to post Endgame, there was a lot of hype. There was a lot of expectation. And with the show basically telling the story of Wanda post-Infinity War, post-Endgame, dealing with the loss of Vision, trying to find her way in the world. Everyone knew this was going to be something special, and even more so when they caught a glimpse of the first trailer, which showed not your traditional MCU fare, but a throwback to classic Americana sitcoms from the 50s and 60s. This show, which ran for nine episodes as well, was lightning in a bottle. Uh, Season two, no. I think I can comfortably say there will be no season two of WandaVision. Wanda's next stop is in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. We don't know exactly what her role is going to be there. Whether she is going to be a secondary protagonist, whether she is going to end up growing into the antagonist of the film, we'll just have to see. But I think at this point in time, I can comfortably say there will be no second season of WandaVision. And even if... It didn't, you know, even if Multiverse of Madness wasn't going to be her next stop, the show ends so perfectly that I don't need more of this. It's so good. Uh, This, like I said, was the maiden voyage for these Disney Plus shows. It was the first of its kind. It was the first jump for Marvel Studios into the realm of film. You can talk about your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You can talk about your Ghost Rider. You can talk about your Cloak and Daggers. This was the first show that fully had Marvel Studios behind it 100% and felt connected to everything and was going to matter in the MCU going forward. So this was the opening shot for Phase 4, and it was immediately a different vibe. This was something that didn't feel like the MCU because something in this show, you know, the first, I believe, three episodes were comprised of just these throwbacks to old-school sitcoms. 
I Love Lucy, I Dream of Jeannie, stuff like that. And I personally loved it. I thought it was great. The intrigue, the mystery was so freaking cool. And unfortunately, I think that's what turned a lot of people off. Uh, The pacing of this show is very slow. I think the first three episodes, maybe even the first, no, it would have to be the first three episodes, could be bundled up into one episode because the rest of the episodes are like 40 minutes to an hour uh, or 40 to like 50 minutes. And there is not a lot for people who are not either familiar with Scarlet Witch, not familiar with Vision, or not familiar with the incredible uh, Tom King Vision series, that it's... I I could see a lot of people having a, a hard time getting into this. And I, even my partner, you know, we watched the first episode together and she said, I can't watch this week to week. I need to know what all is happening. So... I continued to soldier on, I waited until it was wrapped up, and then we watched it together. And I think a lot of people ended up liking doing it that way, because those first epi- those first three episodes are just throwbacks for those sitcoms, and that turned a lot of people off. I loved it, but that's, you know, it is what it is. I think the middle of the pack episode probably four through eight was where it was strongest, where it was firing on all cylinders, intrigue on top of character development, on top of narrative development, which unfortunately led to kind of a lackluster finale. I don't think it was as terrible as people say. I think a lot of people like to bag on WandaVision, especially for its finale. And I don't think it was terrible, but I would say out of all of the finales, except maybe one of them, it was probably the worst. Uh, Just not a great finale. Didn't really enjoy it as much as I could have. However, I will say it, I'm going to backtrack here. It wasn't the worst finale. Uh, The emotional core was there. The lessons were there. The storyline development was there. And the character moments were there. However, it did end up being just a big old CGI battle in the sky with a large beam. I can't ignore that. It just, it is what it is. However, the show itself, along with that lackluster finale, had a ton of emotional depth. This was the show to get destroyed by emotionally. Um, take you know, it's been meme to death. You know, what is grief if not love persevering? You know, it's something that, of course, has been made fun of a lot since you know, since the fact, but. At the time, man, we had just come out of 2020, which was one of the worst years. Might have been, you know, one of the worst years ever. And this message of grief, this message of holding on to your grief but not allowing it to consume you is, I think, something that resonated with a lot of people. And it was something that we needed. I mean, the love story of Wanda and Vision is incredible it's one of the it might be the best love story in the mcu i would you know off the top of my head it would you know it's got very little competition stacked up against it but the emotional impact of the performances were what really held this ship together this ship of theseus together um and having 
performances and characters here that really sold that is what continued to bring people back week after week. We also got some great performances from maybe some not-so-emotional places. Uh, the twins! We finally got to see Billy and Tommy. We've been waiting for them. We finally got to see them. Uh, Wicked and Speed, at least the beginnings of them, was very cool. And alongside them, we got... Pietro. Not the Pietro played by Aaron Teller Johnson, but Pietro Maximoff played by Evan Peters. Let me just say, unequivocally, the Ralph Boner stuff sucked. The Ralph Boner stuck stuff sucked. It was bad. It was bad writing. It was a it was an attempt by the showrunner and the writers to pull a gotcha rather than having any kind of lasting effect from the show sucks do not like it that being said evan peters was perfection in the role that he was portraying he was fantastic loved seeing him the twins were incredible and they were almost you know up to the par of the performances by elizabeth olsen and mr paul bettany uh the two of them went the full range of performance in this series. They were incredible. Uh, the emotional depth from both of them was startling, but also really, really pleasantly surprising. I loved getting to dive further into their story. I loved getting to see background for Wanda. Loved getting to see how she dealt with the grief of losing her love. And... Paul Bettany's vision got to go all over the map in this series, ending with one of the most profound moments for the character in his entire existence in the MCU. But, of course, the one that stole the show was Agatha. All along, it was Agatha. And I absolutely loved this performance. Agatha was a character that we all correctly predicted was going to be Agatha. You know, Agnes pops up and everyone's like, nope, I don't trust it. Not even a little bit. And we were right. Congratulations to all of us. However, sometimes predicting something and being right is just as exciting as predicting something and being surprised. And having the, you know, the Agatha craze, the Agatha all along was incredible. The heights that this got to, um, billboard charts, that whole thing, iTunes charts, it was incredible. And getting Agatha Mania was something that I will never forget. It was hilarious. It was delightful. And I just loved her. And I'm excited to see her come back, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, overall, the show was a mixed bag, just like What If. However, I think with it being a through line all the way through, watching it all together, obviously not all in one sitting unless you've got the time for that. In that case, teach me your ways. Uh, it is a wonderful story about loss, a wonderful story about grief and what that can do to a person, and ultimately a just a damn good show. I really enjoyed it. It's not my favorite, but it was something that we desperately needed as fans. We desperately needed as human beings who had gone through one of the worst years in human history. And I just think it was 
a wonderful, wonderful show. My favorite episode was episode five on a very special episode. This was the Full House parody that led into uh, the reveal of Pietro. This was the perfect distillation of that show. Showing off the funny... um, parody of the american sitcom showing off the growing mystery happening uh this was the first time that a character broke quote unquote on camera where agatha goes do do you want me to take that again like oh the just the my skin crawled seeing that uh we also got to see the uh the argument that moved out of the credits which was ingenious so freaking good uh we saw the life and death of sparky that happened and we got to see of course the biggest cliffhanger i think in any of these disney plus shows period bar none full stop um this lit the world on fire and i will always remember watching this episode for the first time so Wonderful episode overall. I think it's the perfect WandaVision episode. Um, It's so good. And the show is so good. However, I do believe that there are three shows that were just slightly above it. Which brings me to number three, which is Hawkeye. You knew it had to be up here. You knew how much I enjoyed the show. Uh, Hawkeye, of course, brings together Clint Barton with new Hawkeye Kate Bishop on a Christmas caper to discover the secrets behind her family's illegal dealings, battling with the tracksuit mafia, and just trying to figure out who in the hell is in this new Ronin costume. So honestly, this this series has my heart. Ran for six episodes. Um, season two? Maybe. We don't know exactly. There is definitely room for a season two. Um, we know that uh, Kate Bishop, Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop, is going to be staying around for a long time. And I could see this easily spinning into a uh, Kate Bishop, Yelena Belova show. But... Overall, you know the reason I love this so much. I don't have to be shy about it. It's Christmas! I freaking love Christmas. And it is something magical about that time of year that made this one of my favorite Disney Plus shows out of all of them. Um, It is a just delightful little show placed around the most wonderful time of the year. Now, let's just skip into it. Let's not, you know, let's not stand on ceremony here. Kingpin is the thing we got to talk about. If you were, you know, going with me week to week during the uh, during this past holiday season, I was reviewing every single episode as it came out. The Kingpin was a big freaking deal because we did not know when he was revealed that... Daredevil would officially be in the MCU. Of course there were rumors. Of course there were reports. Of course there were quote-unquote leaks. But before we saw him officially, before we saw Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock in the flesh on our screens, the Kingpin. The Kingpin was coming. We knew he was arriving, and when he did, boy, oh boy, was it incredible. However... This was something that I think we could have gotten more of. 
the kingpin, as we've found out with these, you know, deleted scenes apparently from the uh, OnStar Disney Plus partnership in India, showed that the kingpin showed up a lot sooner in this show than he ended up in the official show. There's a whole scene between him and young, um, oh, why am I blanking on her name? Young Echo on the show. I, you know, I would have liked to see more of him. I think him just popping up in the last episode and him being, you know, taken down didn't really do it for me. Uh, I love seeing Vincent D'Onofrio. He plays a mean kingpin. Uh, and it got me alongside uh, No Way Home to rewatch season three of Daredevil, which is still incredible. But I would have liked to see more of him. I don't think he was utilized to his best uh, to his best ability, which sucks. Uh, and unfortunately, that does line up with the rest of the show as well. There's uneven pacing throughout. Uh, there are times when I believe we could have moved past uh, certain aspects. You know, the swordsman stuff didn't really, you know add up to anything the i was just waiting the entire time for kazi to become the clown and he never did he never did and i'm pretty sure he died so i'm really not happy about that maybe it spins off you know into this echo show which we are getting an echo show we are going to get an echo show which i'm excited about um, Alaco Cox is wonderful in the role of Echo, and I think she's going to do a great job. And I am like 75% sure Kingpin is going to be the main villain of that. Uh, but that being said, you know, we might get Kazi as the, you know, revived as the clown in this one, but I, I wouldn't hold our breath. Uh, so that kind of sucked. Uh, the finale also super rushed. I think this, in fact, is probably the least my least favorite finale out of the entire bunch, uh, which sucks because I loved the show coming into the finale. And the finale just felt rushed. They moved very quickly with how, I would say not slow, but how evenly paced all of the other episodes seemed to be. Uh, it didn't really, you know accomplish as much in the finale i thought we sped through things too quickly there was a lot of contrivances um and ultimately i was more interested in the just human to human portions of this the conversations the heartfelt moments maybe i'm you know a soft boy for liking this stuff but i like it and so i wish that we could have gotten more time in this finale make it longer include more stuff whatever uh it it kind of sucked however what did not suck was the relationship between kate and clint i loved their dynamic Haley steinfeld is a dynamo and pairing her up with constantly tired jeremy renner is incredible and i love the relationship between the two of them i loved how it grew i loved how it changed and both of them got to show their stuff hawkeye to no one's surprise, I think, is many people's least favorite Avenger, especially in the MCU incarnation. And so getting to see him finally shine, giving him some great moments, the moment where he takes the hearing aid off at the Avengers Memorial and he just talks to Natasha. Oh, and the moment where he's talking to his son, but his ear, you know, his uh, his hearing aid was broken, so he can't hear him. Ah, oh, I'm crying thinking about it. It is incredibly sad, but... 
I loved their performances. I thought they were great, and it makes me really excited to see more of them in the future. We also got the absolute hurricane that is Yelena Belova. Florence Pugh popped by for the back half of the season and was wonderful. And it immediately just developed this amazing uh, friendship, camaraderie, between Kate and Yelena, which isn't really something that's in the comics, but I'm very excited to see developed in the MCU. And I am excited to see more of her. Uh, Ultimately, the show has tons of heart, lots of Christmas spirit, and I think it is a absolutely wonderful time to watch the rush finale aside i think the rest of the series is really really well done um the character moments shine the action is fun and grounded uh the stakes have never felt lower for the mcu and i say that as a positive because this isn't you know world ending this isn't you know the multiverse is going to collapse this is Two people trying to solve a mystery while trying to make sure their loved ones are safe. So that is, and ultimately, that's what you need. That's all you need for a story, and I really dug it. Uh, My favorite episode, episode three, Echoes. This features the debut of uh, Echo in the series. This features that incredible car chase, which harkened back to the Fraction AHA uh, car chase sequence in the series. And it pulled off one of the coolest arrow moves I've ever seen. Something I had never expected before and I was pleasantly surprised by. Also gave us some really cool character moments. Just a wonderful, wonderful episode all the way around. And my favorite episode out of Hawkeye. Now... We're getting into the top two here. Top two is very difficult. So I I went back and forth on these a couple times. And ultimately, I settled on my number two in the Geeksplained official unofficial MCU Disney Plus Phase 1 rankings. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, oh man, it hurts me to put it not at number one. But... The show, which features Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes post the events of Endgame coming together to solve a multi, uh, multi-culture, multi-culture, multi-country spanning, a global, we'll just say, a global conspiracy and a global uh, crime spree, as well as dealing with the emergence of John Walker as the next Captain America. You knew I was going to love this show. You knew. I was going to love this show. And the show that ran for six episodes was everything that I wanted it to be. Bar none, full stop, everything I wanted the show to be, it was. Uh, Season two, maybe. We might get another one of these, though I loved how the show changed to Captain America and the Winter Soldier uh, at the end. Uh, But... We do know that the story will continue in Captain America 4, which is going to feature Sam Wilson, possibly Bucky Barnes. We'll see. But this show, out of all of them, I think, is the most MCU out of them. With the pacing, the character, the humor, the action, this felt the most like traditional MCU fare. And this being the second show out of the gate, following the very different WandaVision, I think a lot of people were drawn into it because this is more of what we expected and this is more of what we were used to. And so Falcon and the Winter Soldier had a huge following behind it. 
And ultimately, there were things that I didn't like about it. I have to, you know, I everything I wanted this to be, it was. However, there were some things that bugged me. Uh, the fact that Sam has to earn Captain America again after just having, you know, Steve Rogers gave him the shield. Why does he have to earn this again? It didn't make any sense to me, though, in the in the context of the show itself where Sam doesn't feel like he deserves it because, you know, he has all these things and he doesn't, you know, has all these uh, self-doubts and whatnot. Cool. I get it. It allowed for character development as we went through. The show was designed to give Sam that hero's journey so that he could become Captain America. Fine. Also, lots of unanswered plot threads, lots of holes, lots of stuff that unfortunately, again, were affected by the pandemic stuff that they wanted to film. They weren't able to film stuff that they were supposed to get to. They weren't able to get to. So ultimately there were things that just kind of didn't really fit with the rest of the quality of the show. Now, that being said, the heart, the soul of this show, Sam Wilson, Bucky Barnes, ultimately, were the perfect duo for this show. Um, the performances by Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan were incredible. Loved seeing them. They both were on a journey. Sam was looking to find his next step. Bucky was looking for redemption. And both of them achieved that by the end of this show. We also got some incredible villains. The return of Baron Zemo. I loved seeing Baron Zemo again. And he was utilized even better than he was in Captain America Civil War. Absolutely loved his inclusion. We got to see the purple sock for all of two seconds, unfortunately. Wish we'd gotten more of that. But we got a great, um, I would say, conclusion. A good wrapping up of his story with Bucky, the two of them finally getting some closure, which was really cool. But all eyes were on Wyatt Russell's Johnny Walker. Johnny, John Boy, Jonathan Walker as Captain America slash U.S. agent. Um, just... Come on, man. So freaking good. Also, one of the best uh, cliffhangers of the entire MCU in this, you know, TV show spectrum. After he murders that member of the um, of the Flag Smashers. Oh, so good. Uh, their dueling performances of Zemo being sophisticated while John Walker is a blunt instrument were really, really well done. I loved the idea that we had to see this, you know, we had to call back to Erskine's, uh, quote in Captain America, the first Avenger, not a good soldier, but a good man, or not a perfect soldier, but the good, but a good man. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Wyatt Russell's John Walker was the perfect candidate for the next Captain America, but he wasn't the right candidate. And watching the journey of all three of, you know, all four of these characters from the beginning to the end was incredible. Absolutely loved it. Also, a fantastic finale. I mean, could you ask for more? We got stakes. We got drama. We got character moments. We got 
just the most wonderful unveiling of one of the best comic accurate costumes we've ever seen with the Sam Wilson Captain America costume. Uh, we got the Superman moment back when I was reviewing this from week to week, me and Malcolm, the Superman moment that Sam Wilson got to have. It was in a word, wonderful. I loved it. It was incredible. And I am so excited for Anthony Mackie's Sam Wilson to continue to carry forward that Captain America mantle into the MCU as we go on. My favorite episode of the series, episode number two. It was really difficult. It was very difficult between this, the finale, and I think episode five, I want to say. This episode five of the finale, very, very difficult. But... I love this episode. I love episode two entitled The Star-Spangled Man. Um, It was just incredible. We start off with this amazing marching band version of Star-Spangled Man with a plan. Uh, We get introduced to John Walker's Captain America. We get to see Bucky and Sam working together for the first time. And we get to see them deal with the Flag Smashers. We get to see... uh, Captain America and Battlestar in action for the first time. It was just incredible. Loved it. And we got at the very end, the two of them deciding we're going to go see Zemo with one of the best lead-ins for an episode I've ever seen. Playing that music, unveiling Zemo in his prison. Such a great start to the series. I absolutely loved it. My favorite episode of the season, which of course means that number one on the list is Loki. Loki, following his escape in the parallel timeline of Avengers Endgame, finds himself captured and employed by the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, which tasks him with hunting down a variant of himself which it looks to disrupt the sacred timeline and bring the TVA to its knees. This show, okay? This show ran for six episodes. We are absolutely getting a season two. We already know it said season two is coming. This show is the gold standard for these Disney Plus shows going forward. And the reason, ultimately, because as I said, I went back and forth. Right, I went back and forth on whether this or Falcon and Winter Soldier was going to be my number one. And it was very difficult because I love both of these shows. At times, Falcon and Winter Soldier was ahead. At times, Loki was ahead. But ultimately, what it came down to was what I mentioned when talking about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier was everything I wanted it to be. I knew what I wanted the show to be, and it achieved that expectation. Loki... I was not hyped about. Loki, I did not care about. I did not care about this show. And Loki exceeded my expectations. Loki was everything I didn't know I needed for this show to be. And because of that, because of the surprise, because of the quality, because of how good this show ultimately was, I had to put it at number one. It was incredible. Uh, However, got to get the negatives out of the way. So many plot holes. Ridiculous plot holes. I am still raging against... I'm shouting at the sky at how Loki was able to use his powers to stop a building from falling. That's not in his power set. That's never been in his power set. But it's very nitpicky stuff. 
Very nitpicky stuff. Lots of plot holes. Ultimately, I mean, bringing Loki back again was fine. Whatever. We've seen it. We got that conclusion for him in Infinity War that a lot of people weren't, you know, necessarily needing to have someone, you know, come back and tell another Loki story. But that being said, this show won my heart because it is comic booky as heck. And I'm not just talking about comic book characters. I'm not just talking about it featuring characters from the Marvel Universe. This would be a bestseller maxi-series in any comic book shop if this was released on the printed page. The, the stakes, of course, are the largest out of all of these shows. Period. Non-stop. Multiversal war is on the horizon. You know, we've got incredible characters, not to mention these amazing set pieces that ultimately made this show stand out head and shoulders above its predecessors as well as on top of the shows that, you know, came after it. This was wedged right in the middle. It was WandaVision, Falcon the Winter Soldier, then this. And we still had What If and Hawkeye following this. This was peak Disney Plus Marvel show. And that ultimately gave way to some incredible performances. I talked just now about Loki. It's like, okay, we've seen enough of Loki. But the twist that we get off of that is that we get Mobius, played by the inimitable, wow, man himself, Owen Wilson. And the, I would say, breakout star for this show, Sylvie. The female variant of Loki. Incredible. Absolutely loved it, 100%. She was dynamic, she was exciting, she was incredibly vengeful and violent, and she provided the perfect foil for Loki. As Loki is the person you can't trust, Sylvie is the person who has an inability to trust. And pairing them together was a recipe for disaster. But it was incredible! Absolutely loved it. From start to finish, the show had a through line. It had a story to tell. And throughout its runtime for every single episode, it maximized all of its time, all of its characters, all of its background to give us an incredible story from start to finish. It also, as I said before, was comic booky as hell. And not even talking about the incredible finale, the best finale, I would say, out of the out of the bunch. It is very, oh, it's very close between this and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I flip-flop on a day-to-day basis. But as I'm recording this right now, it is my favorite finale out of the bunch. Um, it's just so freaking good. And the fact that it has drama, the fact that it has an underlying mystery throughout, the fact that it has very little action, but just enough to matter, and the fact that the entire thing ends really in a conversation... Oh my god, it's like they wrote this specifically for me. Um, Also, giving us our first look at Kang, played by Jonathan Majors, as he who remains. I mean, come on, man. Come on! A blend of the one who remains and Immortus being this guy who is just so tired of his job that he wants to hand it off to these new young bucks and ultimately ends up with the death 
of this character, giving way to his worst variant, Kang the Conqueror. I mean, what more could you want? What more could you want? So freaking good. The episode that just opened up the multiverse. This really was the show that opened up the multiverse to everybody. We talked about parallel timelines in Endgame, and this was really the one that opened up them all. The sacred timeline now branching out into a multiversal war, the Time Variance Authority now being one of possibly many. I absolutely adored it. It was a wonderful story from start to finish about two broken people trying to pick up the pieces. Uh, My favorite episode... Episode number five. You noticed I hadn't talked about it before until this point. Now I get to gush. Episode number five entitled Journey into Mystery. This is the most comic booky that all of these Disney Plus shows get. And I'm including the literal show that had an episode about Marvel zombies. This is the most comic booky that all of these shows get because Loki wakes up at the end of time with three, count them, three Loki variants, including two that are ripped straight from the comic book page. Classic Loki and Kid Loki. I adored this episode, showing off all of the different Lokis. Boastful Loki was a ton of fun as well. Having all of them be from different realities, who had in some form or function either forgot or been abandoned by Thor, or in Kid Loki's case, murdered Thor. Murdered him dead. And I just absolutely love this, dealing with Sylvie teaming up with Mobius, and then we get Alioth and all of the wacky nonsense going on, you know, glorious purpose! I absolutely adored this episode. It was incredible, my favorite episode of the bunch, and it gave way to a wonderful finale. So... Ultimately, Loki takes the top spot this year. I had a ton of fun with these shows, and I had a ton of fun putting this list together. Getting to think about this and knowing that these are just the start of this Disney Plus era for Marvel, this is going to be the way forward. Week-to-week stuff that tells incredible stories that you don't get as much time to tell in a traditional two-hour or sometimes even three-hour film, um, I'm very excited about the future of Disney+. Plus. The idea that What If, WandaVision, Hawkeye, Falcon of the Winter Soldier, and Loki are just the opening course, just the appetizer to what we could potentially see going forward, it makes me very excited to be watching these shows. It makes me very happy to be a Marvel Disney Plus fan, and it makes me ever more excited for Moon Knight coming out in March. We've got a ton of shows ahead of us on the horizon. We've got Moon Knight, we've got She-Hulk, we've got Miss Marvel, Secret Invasion. We've got tons of shows. We are spoiled for choice, but ultimately I think my heart will always be with this first class of Marvel Disney Plus shows. They were the standard bearer, they were the start, but by golly, they will not be the end. Ooh. 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of February 2nd, 2022. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And you know what? But it's my podcast. I'm deciding since there were four weeks in January that I missed out on talking about comics, I'm going to give you not one, not five, but four picks for the week because there were so many good comics that came out last week. It was stacked. I had almost 20 comics to read. <laughs> my stack is even even the uh, the guys at my and my LCS were like, this is a lot of comics for you. Are you all right? So I was really excited about this. Let's just talk about them. No particular order. First off, Detective Comics number 1050. This was written by Mariko Tamaki, Matthew Rosenberg, and Mark Wade, and featured the artistic stylings of Ivan Race, Fernando Blanco, and Dan Mora. This book rules uh the detective comics run by mariko tamaki has been incredible so far and this you know arkham tower saga has been incredible shadows of the bat has been one of the best week-to-week batman comics that we've seen in quite some time absolutely loved it go check it out it was wonderful Next up, jumping over to the Marvel side of things, we had Devil's Reign number three of four, I believe. No, three of six. Sorry. I messed that up. But uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto, um, Devil's Reign rules. It has been consistently incredible. Absolutely loved every single part of it. Um a great little reveal as well for a character that all of us were kind of wondering about. Uh, it's fantastic, and I'm so excited to see where Devil's Ring goes next. Jumping back over to DC, Human Target. This one's book four. Human Target number four, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood, was Chef's Kiss. Incredible book. I just, it's just so good. It's so good. Human Target has been incredible. If you are not reading this, this might end up being the best Tom King book ever. Period. Full stop. No cap, as the kids say. Uh, I just absolutely love this issue. An incredible issue that's featuring my boy, Ted Gord. Had a great time with it. Wonderful, wonderful book. And then a surprise pick back on the Marvel side at my fourth pick for last week, Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond number one. Written by Jed McKay, art by C.F. Via. Uh, this book was so much fun. This was the most fun I had reading comics last week. Um, I was incredibly surprised. I picked it up because I've been picking up all of the Beyond stuff. And I was not ready for how much fun this book was. So good. It's a shame we don't get Mary Jane and Black Cat together more often. Uh, there's a great, great conversation they have at the end about the idea of being the bad girl in Peter Parker's life. Absolutely go out of your way to read this. Had a wonderful time with this book. 
But that's last week. Taking a look at this week's books, we've got 10 books for you. We're back. We're doing it double digits. Let's dive into this list. First off, Suicide Squad number 12. This is written by... Robbie Thompson and Dennis Hopeless with art by Eduardo Ponsica and Dexter Soy. And because it's been a little bit, I'm going to let you know we're going to be talking about the books, creative team, and the synopsis for each book. And I'll be doing my synopsis voices as well with those books. So strap in for that. Uh, Suicide Squad's been good. Suicide Squad's been good. They are ramping up to this big confrontation between uh, Amanda Waller Suicide Squad versus Rick Flagg Suicide Squad. I don't know how many more issues of at least this arc is. Um, maybe one more. We'll see. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The beginning of the end. Rick Flag attacks. The squad has their hands full with the marvel that is Earth-8, and soon learn that this test was actually just a decoy for Waller's real suicide squad. If they're going to get off Earth-8, they'll have to get through a whole other squad in the process. And just as Flag is about to take down Waller once and for all, he's betrayed by a double agent in his ranks. Interesting. Very interesting. We're getting not one, but three Suicide Squads potentially in this. So uh, if you're looking for Suicide Squad, this is the most Suicide Squad. Uh, next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Sabretooth number one, written by Victor Laval with art by Leonard Kirk. We are officially in the Destiny of X era of the X-Men. Uh, X lies and X deaths. Ten lives, ten deaths. So Wolverine is going on right now. So that is the opening salvo. And now we have the next book appropriately going from Wolverine to Sabretooth. So let's go ahead and dive into this here. Down in a hole. Sabretooth went to the pit sentenced to an eternity of torment. Sure, that sounds like hell, but maybe that's where he feels most at home. What's he been doing down there, and what secret deal has changed his fate forever? And what if he's not alone? Awesome, awesome. We've been waiting to find out what happens next with Sabretooth. We've been waiting to find out what goes on in this pit because after uh trial of magneto spoiler alert toad got sent down there as well so it's gonna be really cool to see who's actually down there in the pit who else has been exiled and to see what Sabretooth saga does next with the character should be fun next up we have batman number 120 this is written by joshua williamson and uh carl kirsch with art by mikhail janine and jorge molina um, this is a very good start for the next Batman, uh, wherever this goes for the next Batman period, no matter, doesn't really know. I don't really know how long this Batman era is going to be, but I think so far it's been really strong. The art by Molina has been mwah, chef's kiss and the writing by Williamson hasn't been half bad either. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Abyss part three. Escape slash They Make Great Pets, Part 2. Abyss, Part 3. The new Batman Incorporated's heinous crimes have landed them in a high-security prison. Batman believes the only way to help his old allies is to break them out. But they don't want his help. 
Meanwhile, Batman Inc.'s mysterious benefactor uses the chaos to enact their plans, but finds themselves lost in the dark against Abyss. Plus, the mysterious disappearances being investigated by Maps and Batman take a violent turn. Could this missing person's case be something much darker? So yeah, really enjoying this Batman era so far. Looking forward to this book. Next up, we have Fantastic Four Life Story number six. I think this is the last one. Uh, it's written by Mark Russell with art by Angel Unzueta Sean Izakse and Zay Carlos. Um, I think this is it. I think this is the last one. This is going to be the 2010s. And this book has been great. This book has been fantastic. Pardon the pun. Um, the previous five issues have been amazing. And I cannot wait to see where the first family ends up in this story. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The 2010s. The fateful finale of the fabulous foursomes lies across six decades. With the Doombots in place, Doctor Doom begins his conquest of Earth. When the world has no answer for Doom's might, the aging heroes join forces with the next generation. But will it be enough to stop him? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Very excited. Uh, this sounds like as great a finale as you can get. Of course, all roads lead back to Doom. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Dark Knights of Steel number four. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Bengal. And it looks like this is going to be a stopgap. The previous three issues of this 12-issue maxi series have been amazing. And it looks like this is going to be a step back in time. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Child of the Gods. The arrival of the Elves by Spaceship 19 years earlier was a pivotal moment for the kingdom, and a prophecy was born. But what were those early years like for the Elves, and how did they come to be monarchs of the kingdom? And what catastrophic event triggered everything that was to follow? So yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. So this is going to be giving us backstory, much needed backstory, I think. World building is something that Tom Taylor does really well. So let's go ahead and get to it. Really excited to learn more about this world. Next up, we have Daredevil, Woman Without Fear, number two. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Rafael De La Torre. And the first issue was great. This is Elektra versus Craven. I am so excited. Let's dive into the synopsis here. Electra Nachios is the greatest assassin in the Marvel Universe, but having recently taken up the mantle of Daredevil, she's taken a vow to never take a life again. But that vow is about to be put to the ultimate test, as Craven the Hunter has her dead in his sights, and, unlike Electra, he has no reservations about killing. If anything, he likes it when his prey struggles. At least, he thinks he does. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, Electra versus Craven. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have another brand new number one. This is Monkey Prince. Monkey Prince number one, written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Bernard Chang. We've been waiting for this. I'm very excited to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Enter the Monkey, part one. 
Introducing the newest hero in the DCU, the Great Sage, equal to the heavens, better than his predecessor, the legendary Monkey King, even better than the Justice League, and definitely the Teen Titans, actually are all the heroes combined. And everyone put your hands together for the Monkey Prince. Marcus Sun moves around a lot because his adoptive parents are freelance hench people. So this month he finds himself as the new kid at Gotham City High School, where a mysterious man with pig features asks Marcus to walk through a water curtain to reveal himself as who Marcus really is. Someone who has adventured through the journey to the West can transform into 72 different formations, can clone himself using his hairs, and is called the Monkey Prince. So yeah, that... I mean, that tells you everything you need to know, really. It's, this sounds wacky, this sounds fantastical, and it looks like we're going to be getting a lot of interesting Asian-inspired hijinks, which makes me really excited. So, cannot wait for this. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number 8. Speaking of Asian hijinks, uh, this is written by Jean Lun Yang as well, with art by DK Ruan. And Shang-Chi's been great. Shang-Chi's been consistently one of my favorite Marvel comics over the past year. And we are hitting a fever pitch for this big uh, first arc of the story. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The story of the true origin of Shang-Chi's family concludes. Shang-Chi's parents, Zhang Li and Zheng Zhu, have fallen in love and built a nurturing family. But what terrible event rips Shang-Chi's family apart forever? It's not what you think. Plus, in the present, Shang-Chi continues to fight off an assassination attempt from all sides. Yeah! Very excited about this. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, speaking of last week's Pick of the Week, we have Detective Comics number 1051. This is written by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Fernando Blanco and Max Raynor. I am very interested because the cliffhanger from last issue was amazing. So freaking good so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the tower part five slash house of gotham chapter five psycho pirate casse cassess the mind manipulations of one of the dcu's most calamitous villains are revealed at the heart of arkham tower but who's really calling the shots As Batwoman's undercover operation takes a disastrous turn, Huntress finds her own mission inside the tower growing more perilous by the moment. All is revealed in this explosive first chapter in Act 2 of the Shadows of the Bat weekly event. Then, in House of Gotham Part 5, the boy emerges from his scarecrow caper with a new perspective on the world. But what's scarier? Dr. Crane's fear toxins or Batman's control of Gotham's militarized youth. Yeah! Oh, this book has been so good. Um, I have been absolutely loving this. Shadows of the Bat has been con- just one of the best weekly Batman books in years. And I love this. I love the inclusion of Psycho Pirate. Seeing his reveal at the end of Lax Week's issue actually had me gasp out loud. So freaking cool. But 
The book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is The Amazing Spider-Man number 88. This is written by uh, Zeb Wells with art by Michael Dowling. Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man Beyond has been incredible. I've been loving Spider-Man Beyond. It is so freaking good. The previous, I would say, two or three uh, installments have been top-tier Spider-Man for me. Ben Riley is being put through the ringer. And I cannot wait to see what this new rogue is going to do as well. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Beyond Chapter 14. Who is Queen Goblin? For almost 60 years, Spider-Man has been defined by goblins, and Ben Riley has a brand new one all his own. So Ben Riley's finally getting a goblin, and she looks terrifying. So I am super excited about this, and that is going to wrap up this week's comics countdown. To recap, we have... Suicide Squad number 12, Sabretooth number 1, Batman number 120, Fantastic Four Life Story number 6, Dark Knights of Steel number 4, Daredevil Woman Without Fear number 2, Monkey Prince number 1, Shang-Chi number 8, Detective Comics number 1051, and The Amazing Spider-Man number 88. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really do help me out, really helps the podcast out, especially in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you want. You give me five stars, I'll read it here. And you can join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, and Sass. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their review, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to get my opinion on something, maybe a quick pitch, or if you want some recommendations for something we haven't covered on the podcast yet, feel free to email me. I am an old man. I still read emails. Send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put mailbag on the subject header, and I will read it here on the podcast as part of the Geek Explain mailbag. Finally, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can feel free to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's at Pod on those platforms. There's been a lot of stuff to talk about, and there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about as the year goes on. So if you want to keep up with me, if you want to chat with me, that is the best way to do it. Finally, as a 
quick little last minute plug. As you know, we are doing a Geek Explained book club episode this Friday. If you have not been keeping up, or if this is your first episode, welcome. Happy to have you. We do every single Friday the Geek Explained book club where I, alongside my amazing co-hosts, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Every single Friday we've been doing this. I believe this Friday is going to be Volume 5? Volume 5 or 6? I can't keep them straight anymore. I'm just reading it all the way through and having such a good time. We always have a good time reading this and chatting about it, so tune in for that on Fridays. Your Spidey Fridays are... We've got you. We've got you every Spidey Friday. So tune in for that. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening to this, our first numbered episode of the new year. We are on the road. By the end of March, we will be hitting 200 episodes. We are on the road to 200 and we're also on the road to our four-year anniversary also in march so stay tuned for all of that next week we will be dropping a brand new episode of the geek explained podcast same geek time same geek channel but for now for geek explained this is eric azana thank you very much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time 